Thank you. Good morning once again. Um, today we were supposed to start a, a series, a long series on uh, community. And, uh, and we are still going to do that series. We haven't scrapped it. Uh, we've just moved it a week. Um, if you were here last week, I told you what was going to happen this week. And what it is basically is uh, David Manitsky, our senior pastor, every so often will give a, an address to the administrative board. It usually happens around the first of the year. It's basically the state of the church address. This is what's going on. This is where we're going. This is where we were last year. Here's where we're going this year. Um, but there's been a lot of stuff on David's mind. Um, God's been working a lot with David, and he decided to jump the gun and, and, and do it now. So at our last administrative board meeting, and let me uh, indoctrinate those of you who are not of the Methodist church or background. The administrative board in the Methodist church is basically the, the board of directors who runs the everyday. They don't run the everyday life of the church, but they make major decisions. They are the leaders of the church that come together in a board. If you're president of a Sunday school class, if you're the chair of one of the numerous committees that we have, if you sit on one thing or another, you will be a member of that administrative board. And, and they come together and they make major decisions. If you want to be, for some strange reason, a pastor and want to go through that whole process in the Methodist church, you have to go through the administrative board where your church or your home church is, and they have to vote on you and approve you. So I have done that, and I've been through here, voted on me a few times, and it's always a heated, contested debate. Um, so far, I've won. Um, and, and that's basically what the administrative board is. So David went and, and he gave this speech to this talk to the administrative board. And he got really positive responses from it. He was actually very worried about this. He was very worried about what he was going to say because it's radical. And he, he says it's very radical and it's very different. And he says, I might not have a job tomorrow, but right now this is what I believe. And because of the response from the administrative board, he decided that we needed to do this on a Sunday morning for everyone. So that's what we're doing today. David's doing it down the hall. I'm doing it down here. This is God's vision given to David that it will be coming through me. So <laughs> count the levels down and you will get the quality that you should come to expect in New Heights. <laughs> but let me tell you a little something about the way David operates if you've never been in there. David is very smart. He is a very smart guy. He can read a book and 10 years later know exactly what it said, remember it word for word and all that kind of stuff. I read a book and when I turn the page, the last page is now gone from my memory. You know, So we operate a little differently. David preaches very pointedly. Point, he, he uses points. Um, I, don't, I don't know. See, there you go. There's the difference. He uses points. And this sermon he has, like, he starts out, he opens with three points, and then he goes to four, and then he goes back to three more, and then he goes to five points, and then he closes with uh, three or something like that. And I, and I listened to it um, again last night because they recorded it, and then I went in at 830, and I was like, dude, I can't count that high, much less give those many points. So I'm going to try and use an easel and draw some stuff, and let me give you fair warning that I cannot spell, okay? So if there's something misspelled, just keep your mouth shut, all right? Those of you that are spelled, check people, you know, whatever. I used to teach fifth grade, and this little girl in my first class ever, Erica Fuentes was her name. I will never forget her. She was very smart, probably smarter than I was. She used to point out spelling mistakes that I would write on the board. And I'd be like, Erica, great. That was for you. Way to go. Check. Erica got that one correctly. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> whatever. Really? That's misspelled? Are you sure? Um, so... I apologize beforehand and for my writing. If you can't read it, you know, ask the person next to you. However, I will say this, that I don't think that this is a radical, as radical as David believes. 
I told him that this morning. I said, David, I think you're trying to build yourself up a little too much. This isn't that radical. Because, honestly, we have been talking about this for years. We have been talking about this and going in this direction for years, both here in New Heights, much more so in New Heights, but in the sanctuary as well. David has been heading this way for a long time. He's just never put it together in one package. Let me start with a parable by Kierkegaard. He said, there was one night when a man, a thief, went into a store. And instead of robbing the store, what he did is he took price tags from high-valued items, from expensive items. He took them off and he replaced them on low-valued items and he switched everything up. He revaluized the shop. So when the storekeeper came in, he found the things that he valued the most were now the least-valued items in his store because of the way that the price tags were changed. Well, 18 centuries ago, we had somebody switch the tags on the church. 18 centuries ago, somebody took what was valuable to Peter and to Paul and to Jesus and changed the tags and stuck the high-value markers on something that was ridiculous. We've had the tags changed on us. And because of that, for the last 18 centuries, the church has pretty much failed. We failed. Listen, the mainline denomination doesn't get this. Those outside of the denomination, to hear this talk, they're like, well, of course. That's why we left the mainline a long time ago. But the mainline denomination, the Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, the United Methodists, we're still clinging on to that 18th century value system. But let me give you three things. See, three things. That'll tell you where I'm headed with this. First one is this. In the last 18 centuries, in the last recent past, really, we have had very few converts to Christianity. Very few people have come to know Jesus and have become a follower of Jesus Christ. And you say, Michael, our, our membership numbers have been going up over the last few years. We're over 5,300 now. Yes. But guess where most of those people have come from? The great, great majority of them. Other churches. They've moved into San Antonio and they're trying to find a home. They went to a church somewhere. They went to Highland Park United Methodist in Dallas. They moved to San Antonio and we're the closest thing to them around. So they come here. They're in the neighborhood. So they go, we just swap people. Daryl and I like to joke that if you get mad at us here, you're just going to go downtown to First Pres. And then the people at First Pres, when they get mad at them, they just come up here. We just swap back and forth. How many of you were at First? Just kidding. How many of you are going to First Pres next week? That's what we do. We just swap members. That's all we are doing. Very few converts have come in the last few years. In the last 15 years, the population of the United States has grown by 15%. The number of non-church people has grown by 92%. We're not making converts. We're losing ground. We are losing ground. The second thing is this. We are not making disciples. We're not making disciples. The very thing Jesus Christ told us to do, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. We're not doing it. The average amount, that Amer the, the national American amount average that they give to charity, sort that out in your mind for a second, okay, is 2.8%. For Christians, 29 What's different 
between us and the rest of the world? What's the difference between the disciples of Jesus Christ and the rest of the world? There should be a lot. Because we are the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Because we have God on our side. And yet, when you look at the two groups, those who believe in Christ and those who don't, there's not that much difference. There's not that big of a difference. And there should be. There should be a glorious difference. Because we have freedom. We have eternal life. We should see things differently. And so we should operate and live differently. And yet, we're not. Third thing is this, that the attendance has gone down since 2002. That was the high water point for most of the mainline churches. Ours was 2001. Since 2001, our attendance has steadily gone down. People who used to show up every Sunday now show up every other Sunday. People who used to show up every other Sunday now show up once a month. Once a monthers. Once in a while, Christmas Eve and Easter people now show up just either Christmas Eve or Easter. The attendance has gone way down because we have lost sight of the importance of gathering together as a body of Christ and worshiping. There's a lot of things that go into that. Sure, in this community especially, many of you have ranches and lake homes and mountain homes and different things and you're traveling and and, and the world has changed to the fact that Sunday used to be an untouched day for Little League and soccer and football, and now there are games on those days. The world has changed and circumstances have gone to the fact that our attendance is going lower and lower and lower. So those three things. We've got to blame somebody. I mean, I don't know. When something goes wrong in our house, we like to put, point fingers. Not really, we don't. It's always my fault, so we just go. But who's to blame for this? 18 centuries ago, there was a guy by the name of Constantine. And he is who we will point the finger at. Constantine. Because really and honestly and truly, if you look at Constantine and what happened when he took control of the church, ever since then, we've been a failure. Let me show you. I'm going to put B.C. and A.C. Before Constantine, after Constantine. What was the church like before Constantine? The church was focused on mission. The church was all about mission. It was about taking care of one another. It was about living in a world that devalued your system. Living in a world where it was dangerous to believe what you believed. And so you looked out for one another. You supported one another. If somebody was down, you were there to support them. If somebody was hurt, you would take care of them. If someone needed food, you would feed them. It was about mission. After Constantine, it's about survival. Not survival in the way that it was for the people before Constantine, but survival for the church. See, Constantine came in and he said, the church is the thing that's important. Everyone will now go to the church. The church will be supported by the government. The church is going to be the thing. And so ever since then, it was about keeping the doors open. It was about keeping the church alive, getting people in here so that we could keep here open. Not about being in the world. It was about survival of the church, not survival of the people. 
Second thing is this. Before Constantine, it was an organism. It was full of life. It was life-giving. It was like an acorn. Everywhere an acorn goes, an oak tree dwells inside of it. Life dwells inside of that acorn. After Constantine, he created an organization. He created an organization. He created bureaucracy. He created hierarchy. He created the bishop as the top. And then pastors. And then lay people. And then you people. He created an organization that slowed things down and that lost sight. In fact, the organization is primarily why it was concerned with surviving. We must keep the organization alive. We must keep the hierarchy there. We must keep it going. Instead of believing in something that's life-giving and living a life, they were living a system. We were living a system. The third thing is this. is before Constantine... The church was incarnational. The church was incarnational. After, it was attractional. The church before Constantine was incarnational. It was about relationships. It was about living the life. It was about that organism, living the life with Jesus Christ dwelling inside of you. There are countless stories. There are two that come to mind in the book of Acts where Philip goes on a long journey to meet with one person. Goes on a long, he gets out of where he, what he is doing. He leaves and he goes on a long journey to meet with one person and to share God's love. There's another story right after that about Peter doing the same thing. It was about relationships, being in the world, being incarnational, being Christ to the world. After Constantine, we were like, come to us. Come to us and experience God. Come inside of our walls and you will hear about Jesus. Come inside of our walls and you will worship God. Come inside of our walls. But come inside of our walls. Otherwise, you're not going to hear it. So we build buildings. We Kevin Costnerize the church. If you build it, they will come. Have you ever seen on a church? Come grow with us. Come build buildings. Come build parking lots. Come build structures. Come build. Come Instead of going. Because if I remember my text right in Matthew 28, Jesus Christ says, go into the world. Not sit on your keisters and let the world come to you so that you can share my love with them. He said, go, not come, not stay, but go. You know, the funny thing is, this attractional thing, we are so focused and built around that, that it is just, it's, it is just in our blood, and that's what we have to do. How do you get somebody? Well, we throw a big luau for back to school and get everybody to come. Well, none of y'all know what I was talking about because very few of you came. But after we did that, after we did that, I said to myself, and I thought, don't. I was just being attractional. We were just being attractional. Come to the church and celebrate with us. And let us pray for you and have a great time. And that's a wonderful thing. But it's more important to go into the world. Why didn't we go door to door over here in the neighborhoods back over here and knock on the door and say, Hey, do you have a student? Can we pray for your school year? Why don't we go have a luau somewhere else, not on our campus, where people don't want to come anyway? The big white church by the quarry, the Methadome. We're an imposing, intimidating place. And yet, 
We believe that if we can just get people to come here, we will save their life. You know, Jesus is like, dude, did I sit somewhere? Did I sit in one spot and say, people come to me? The difference between incarnational living it in your life and going into the world and relationships and attraction. The fourth one is this. Before Constantine, they were focused on discipleship. Constantine brought us membership. Constantine brought us membership. The thing to do when Constantine created the church was to be a member of the church. To be a member. I'm a member of the church. I'm a member of Alamo Heights United Methodist Church. It says so on the back of my truck, Alamo Heights United Methodist Church. It says Michael on one side, Jenna on the other. We drive around and let people know that we are members of Alamo Heights United Methodist Church. Why? Oh, it's that big white church by the quarry. I drive by it. It's a beautiful building. Yeah, it is. But you know what? There's a lot of great stuff inside. There's a lot of beautiful people inside. And you should see the stuff we do at Mexico. You should see the stuff that we just did for the hurricane and fishing under the bridge and all the wonderful things that are going on. Yet, because I'm a member of Alamo Heights United Methodist Church, label. You know, I get that question all the time. You know, what do you do for a living? I go, oh, I'm a pastor. And, and then people go, oh, wow, really? Did I just say anything to upset you or send me to hell? And then they say, where are you a pastor? And I always hesitate to say it. Not because I'm ashamed of where I'm a pastor. I am blessed to be here. This is a wonderful church to be in. We have an incredible pastoral staff and an incredible congregation. You are all awesome. But I don't want to be labeled as that. Because my work with God doesn't stop inside of these walls. The fact that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ carries with me wherever I go. And so I don't want to be labeled with membership. I would much rather be a disciple of Jesus Christ and everything about my life be about his. I want to be more and more like Christ every day. And that should be the vision and the goal of the church. And we got to ask ourselves, is the world a better place because we are here? Is the world better off today than it was years ago? Answer the question for yourself. So what are we doing in the world? We're trying to survive to keep our doors open. We've been through some financial struggles this year at the church. And we're way under budget and things are going bad. And so we're trying to cut back and we're trying to do all these things. How do we survive? How do we get the organization mobilized so that we can get people surrounded and get them giving and get survival? How do we bring them in, bring more Christians in so that they will give? It's a deadly, deadly cycle. It's not deadly for us. It's deadly for the world. The very people that Jesus Christ is sending us to reach. Because we're staying inside of ourselves and trying to figure out how can we stay open? Instead of, you know what, if the walls fell down today, that'd be okay because it won't stop the ministry of our people. Jeremiah 6, 16 says this. So now the Lord says, stop right where you are. Look for the old godly way and walk in it. Other translations say the ancient path. Look for the ancient path and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. That's what we have to do. 
We've got to look back to the ancient path, the path of Paul and of Philip and of Peter and of John and of all the early disciples in the early church, the first century church before Constantine took over. And we've got to get back in their footsteps. Because listen to this. Those guys that Jesus sent out went to a place called Asia Minor, Turkey. They went into an area that was 0% Christianity. And by the time they were done, they were 95 to 98% Christianity. They got it. They understood it. They lived it. And they brought people into a relational, relational life with Jesus Christ. Then Constantine took over and shortly after, 10%. Because it was about the organization. We have got to refocus ourselves on the path. If you read further in that Jeremiah chapter 6, God says, but because you won't follow the path of the ancient ways. That was my translation. So what are four things we need to do? Four things we need to do. And you are going to hear these words a lot. You're going to hear these words a lot. You already hear them a lot. Community. We need to focus on community. We are a community of believers. We are a community of God. We are the body of Christ. We focus on community. We talk about community a lot in here. Community for the early church was about survival, literal survival. Not surviving of a church, but surviving of self. That's what a community is for. Community. The second one is this. Worship. Not just worship on Sunday morning, not just coming here. This was last week's sermon, so I'm not going to bore you. It's about worship as a lifestyle. Everything you do is worship to God. Mowing the lawn, washing the dishes, your job, changing that poopy diaper that you know is the most disgusting thing in the history of earth. I'm in that period right now, so it's worship. Focusing you the fact that everything you do could bring God glory. Worship as a lifestyle. Third thing is this, mission. Getting our heads around the fact that we have so much in this world, comparatively speaking, and there is so much we can give back. And Jesus had nothing and he gave it all. We have got to be in the world, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to the world. And we do a great job of it here. We do a great job of mission here. Last thing is this, discipleship. Discipleship. This is the thing that we need to focus on. Do we look more like Jesus today than we did yesterday? These are the four things that you will hear over the next many years. These are the four things that we will focus on. And quite honestly, we've already focused on these. We already talk about these. Community, worship, mission, and discipleship. We have... A wonderful opportunity at this church. We have an incredible opportunity to shape the world. Jesus Christ, when, when he said that great commission to the disciples, he said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And surely, surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Matthew 28. When Jesus said that, imagine what must have gone through those young men's minds. 
He was looking at them and saying, I want you to go into the world, the world that hates you, the world that killed me, the world that will persecute you, the world that wants nothing to do with you. Go and love them. Go and teach them. Go and serve them. Go and worship with them. Just go. That's the ancient path that was laid before us, was to go into the world and make disciples. So this is what we need. First of all, let me say this. As David said, this is his words. The ship isn't sinking. Our ship isn't sinking. We've been through some rough waters, but we are doing well. And we get it and we realize it. Nowhere was it more evident that we get it than last week. People lined up to serve for the Hurricane Gustav evacuees. We get it. But here's a challenge. I don't know how many of you are in small groups or or Sunday schools or Bible studies or, or anything that meets here on the church. Stop it. Don't stop meeting. Stop meeting here. Meet in the world. Meet at a coffee shop, one by, oh, I don't know, like the foundry. Or heck, if you don't want to drive down to McCullough, lazy, drive over to the quarry and meet at Starbucks. Go somewhere in the world and have your meetings and let people see you studying the Bible. Let people see you praying. Let people hear you. Go to a restaurant and have a small group there. Go into the world and be Christ in the world. My sermons are awesome. We all know that. But I can never equal the power of your testimony in the world. I will never have the effect on a human being that you do. Because they see you and they know you. You know, we have conferences all the time. We have like marriage conferences, an example David gave. And a marriage conference is a wonderful thing. There's one coming up a weekend to remember. It's It's a great thing. But who comes to those? Christians, believers do. The majority of the people that attend those conferences are Christians that are in hurting relationships or they are Christians that just want to see that they're doing something right. There is no better marriage conference than your marriage for someone. Seeing how you deal with issues together, how you walk through life as a couple together, somebody who is watching you and people, we all watch one another. Somebody who's watching you and sees how you deal with your spouse. Maybe one day when they're going through a turbulent time will come to you and say, look, I need some help. And you and your spouse seem to got it together. Help me. David and I can't have that power. We don't have that power. No worship service in this room or the sanctuary can equal the power of your testimony in the world. I said this last week that we are all big giant billboards for Jesus Christ. What does yours say? So that's my encouragement to all of us is to remember the ancient path. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next few years. David's whole reason for all of this is he's getting to, he's not retiring anytime soon, but he started, he's at that age where he starts thinking about that kind of, I'm not there yet, so I don't know what he's talking about, but he starts thinking about retirement and what his legacy will be and what has he done. And he gets up to heaven and, and Jesus is like, wow, you took care of the people that were in your church pretty well, but what did you do outside of that? And he was pretty affected by that thought. And he said, I need to, 
I need to listen to God and get back to that ancient path and create a culture, create an organism that believes the way of Jesus Christ. And so we go into the world, and it's not what David does. It's what God has gifted all of us to do in the world. David and I could preach sermons every week for our lives and never reach as many people as all of you could. Let's become the church that Jesus Christ wanted Let's find that ancient path that Jeremiah was talking about. And let's forget about Constantine. And bring value back to what Paul and Peter and Philip and Jesus wanted it to be. Let's be the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for being a God of all things. For being a God who cares for us so deeply that you are willing to give your life for us. Lord, that is a humbling thought. We thank you and praise you for that and ask that you would give us the strength, Lord, and the courage to truly be the church in the world, to truly listen to your words as you send us out into the world and to make disciples of all people. God, help us to do that. Help us to leave the walls of this church, but to not leave you in it. To share the love that you have shared with each of us to all whom we come into contact with. God, we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus Christ.